0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them, need them most. So that's what I cover, primarily interviews I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out fev.com. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today's guest is Harold Rust. Harold is president, CEO, and co-founder of InnoVix, a leader in advanced silicon-anode lithium-ion battery development and production. They utilize a proprietary 3D cell architecture that increases energy density and maintains high cycle life compared to competing lithium-ion battery designs. So we're talking about battery technology here. And a lot of, as Harold says in the discussion, a lot of the Next generation of battery improvements are centered around chemistry. It's essentially the same approach to battery cell design, which you know it's called the jelly roll, which Harold explains, with different cell chemistry in there that ekes out a, a bit more improvement in energy density. The way Innovix is thinking about this is a bit more radical, and they're redesigning the cell from an architecture perspective. And the, there's a link here in the show notes. I recommend going to their website and t- taking a look at what this, because it's, it's kind of hard to conceptualize as he explains it, um, just, just kind of verbally. But um, it, it makes a lot of sense when you see the pictures. So they're, they're thinking about this from a 3D perspective at the cell level. What that does is allow several improvements, which we talk about in detail, including the use, the effective use of the silicon anode for the battery cell, which is something that people have strived to do for a while. There are some challenges that are tough to overcome with the roll design, but not, not not quite as challenging given the way Inovix is approaching this. So they're starting in the smaller scale applications and we're soon here with plans and it's only ramping up in the, in the coming years to full electric vehicle size. So really interesting company. I think cool to talk in detail here about battery cell technology um, starting at kind of battery 101 and, and getting a little de- a little a little deeper than that so really enjoyed this discussion. I hope you do too Here's my conversation with Harold Rust Today I'm joined by Harold Rust Harold thanks for coming on.
1: Hey my pleasure nice to be here.
0: Yeah, I think this is uh, an exciting topic. So, I uh, electrification um c- certainly a topic that I've covered a, a good amount on the Future Mobility podcast, but I haven't gotten deep into the the, the battery space and I think the work that you're doing with Enovix is is certainly exciting. So, with with that being said, could you please start us off by uh introducing a bit about about the company and what you are doing with Enovix?
1: Sure, happy to do that. So, um so Enovix is a lithium-ion battery company. Um We've been in business um, since 2007. Um, we're a bit unique than others in the battery space in our approach. Um, you know, when we started the company back in 2007, our thought, our thought was, you know, looking at the battery space um, and looking at its track record, the, the pace of innovation in that space was really pretty slow. And if you actually look at it over the last 30 years, it's about four and a half percent per year. And you know what was, what was happening is even happened more so over the last, I would say five years, is that you know, um, everything at our, about our lives kind of depends on batteries now, right? From consumer electronics, to vehicles, to even some of the grid storage stuff, right? And it seemed that that, that area was just ripe for someone to think about the problem a bit differently, right, uh, and to see if we couldn't change that track record. Because in pretty much every device we talk about, batteries end up being kind of a number one pain point. Um, and so that the the founding team and, and and actually much of the company at Anovix um, is people that um, came out of different industries, um, specifically industries working on um, different architecture products. Um, one was the disk drive business. One was semiconductor testing. And when we look at the battery, um, if we looked at the battery problem. Um, we thought, well, rather than do what everyone else is doing, maybe a different approach would work. And specifically, the battery industry over the last 30 years, pretty much all innovation has been um, in, terms, in, in terms of better materials and chemistry. But the basic way you make the battery hasn't changed at all, right? I mean, if, if you look at a picture of a battery from 30 years ago, it's going to look about the same as one today. It's just different different stuff inside and we we approached the problem differently we said well what if you changed how you made the battery could you harness um, more performance out of that battery and you know back back in 2007 at least on paper we felt that if you changed the way you made the battery you know you could potentially really drive up energy density which is the number one care about you know how much energy can you get in a certain volume or space mm-hmm. um, and um, you know in the early days um, we were kind of dissuaded at actually even working on this because, you know, not surprisingly for a whole industry that focuses on innovation on one axis, which is materials and chemistry. If you come up with a crazy idea of a different way to make the battery and a different architecture, people think you're kind of loony a little bit. And so um, we had to kind of work through that a little bit, but ultimately we felt um, we had the right set of people that could pull this off. And it's been a tough go. I mean, it's taken us 14 years, but ultimately, We've been able to develop an architecture that um, has significantly higher energy density um, and depending on the product, 30 to 130% more energy uh, in the same volume. And that's a huge advantage if you think about kind of this normal rate of innovation of 4.5% a year. So that's kind of how the company started. Um, And, you know, we're bringing that that product to market um, this year, first in the consumer electronics space, but then our long-term vision is to have this technology impact you know, even the, the bigger markets, things like electric vehicles, um, you know, as we get towards the middle of the decade.
0: Yeah, th- thanks for the background, certainly an, an interesting path. And I think a lot of different, uh, lo- a lot of questions I have. So maybe the, the first one, though, so you mentioned innovation in batteries, primarily right now, it's uh, other companies on the market, They one architecture, essentially, and we're, we're talking about materials and chemistry improvements. Could, could you speak to what does that architecture look like that the current one, and then what's different about the way that you guys are approaching
1: it? Yeah, sure. So the, the basic way most batteries are made today is, um, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a three-step process. Um, you have um, active materials that actually store energy for you, right? So there's an anode material and a cathode material. Um, they, they are, they are the two materials that the lithium moves around to in the battery. And in one case, when the lithium moves into the anode it stores energy and then when the lithium moves back to the, the cathode it discharges and you get energy. Um, those materials are, for lack of a sexier word, just black powders and the way the battery is made is you make up a paint essentially of those materials um, and then you paint a thin layer of that on um, a metal foil. Uh, in the case of the cathode it's an aluminum foil Uh, In the case of anode, as a copper foil. So imagine these very large printing operations with, you know, kilometer long rolls of copper and aluminum that are very thin, um, and that roll may be a meter wide, right? So these are very industrial scale printing operations. So you you do that, you do your coating of the active materials, anode or cathode, um, and when that's done and those materials will dry, what you'll do is you cut out a strip of that material, let's say for a cell phone. I'm just the rough order of magnitude. You cut off, you cut out a a sheet that's maybe three inches wide or four inches wide by a meter long, and you have an anode sheet and you have a cathode sheet, mm-hmm. um, and you and you have two other. There's one other piece you need, but you need two of them. It's called a separator, and it's an engineered plastic that sits in between the anode and the cathode that um, that allows the lithium to travel through, but it doesn't let the anode and the cathode physically short. Right, so. You basically think about um, you, you take out this meter long piece of anode, you take a meter long piece of separator and meter long piece of cathode another meter long piece of separator. And then you wind this thing up. It's actually called a jelly roll at times. So it's a winding where you just wind these four materials on top of each other. Um, in the case of a cylindrical battery, um, you know, it's wound circular, right? Like you might find in a 18650s, a popular size for a lithium-ion battery which is a bit bigger than a double A. Um, But in a cell phone, you wind the battery kind of flat, right? So you can do the same winding, but you just do it flat. Um, That winding or jelly roll, as it's called, is then put inside um, a a polymeric pouch, which pretty much every battery today is made of. Um, And it's basically a highly engineered plastic with some aluminum in it. Um, you You put the jelly roll in there, you put in a very specific amount of electrolyte, The electrolyte is the fluid that the lithium travels around in. Uh, And then you seal the pouch and out of the pouch, you have um, a plus and a minus tab for your, you know, your battery, right? And then you charge the battery the first time Um, at the factory, you do some testing and then ultimately ship that to the customer, right? And then, you know, you charge and discharge the battery by either putting a voltage across it or, you know, taking current out of the battery. So that's how every battery today is pretty much made. Um, our approach is very different. We we start off with the same beginning materials, these long rolls of coated material, um, but rather than winding, um, we do a very precise patterning operation where we um, create, um, I would call it, very um, short but long electrodes. So imagine, rather than having a winding, um, you have electrodes which are. Um, let's say four inches long, but only like three millimeters tall, right? So that's, that's one of our electrodes, And you have many, many, many. So rather than winding, um, winding the, um, winding the battery kind of this way, we stack the battery. So we stack a battery to where we've got an anode, a separator, a cathode, a separator, and then we do it again. So anode, cathode, separator, you know, sep and repeat and repeat and repeat. So in one of our batteries, rather than having one continuous winding, you'll have 50 to a hundred anode and cathode pairs in the battery and they're stacked horizontally in the battery. Right? So if you think about it, you know, they're stacked in one dimension. Um, and the, the beauty of that architecture, there's, there's a couple, one is, um, That architecture is actually, it is truly square or prismatic, right? So everything has got corners on it. And if you think about a winding, the winding process or the jelly roll, by its nature, has rounded edges. So if you put a rounded product in a square package, ultimately what we all want is a square battery or rectangular battery. You end up losing some volume at the edges just because you're putting a round peg in a square hole, right? So first order, you get some benefit from having a truly, a, you know, a rectangular product and a re- rectangular hole, which is an advantage. The second thing, which is not um, intuitively obvious is the architecture ends up being a key enabler of one of the big uh, material adan- advances the battery industry has been pursuing for, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years now, which is the transition of the anode from graphite to silicon. Um, <laughs> So almost every battery you buy today has got a graphite or carbon anode. Um, silicon has been heralded for a while as being um, the next great anode because it has the ability to store um, about twice as much lithium as graphite. So if you could make the silicon anode work, in principle, you could put in half as thick an anode and get the same performance out of it, right? So if your anode is half as thick, you can put more layers in the battery and your energy goes up, right? So If silicon is so great, why is it not kind of taken over the world? Um, The reason is it has um, some big challenges to make it work. The, the, um, The most significant challenge is that when the silicon sees lithium for the first time, the silicon expands by as much as 100%, right? So imagine your silicon layer doubles in thickness, that ends up making your whole battery swell, right? And so obviously no one wants a battery that's swelling, Um, and, you know, your battery ballooning up. And in fact, if you, if you look at it, the, the pressure that that creates is, is large enough that it's almost impossible to keep the battery from swelling. If you wanted to put it in a case that would keep it from swelling, you have to put a, you've got to put a force of about two tons on the battery. Right. And that's like, that's like the weight of a car. So it's really not practical. So that's the biggest, probably the biggest factor in preventing people from using silicon today because they just can't manage the swelling because it's a huge problem. And so what you'll see people do today is they'll take a little silicon, maybe 5% silicon and they'll mix it in with graphite. Uh, And the reason they do that is they get a tiny little performance boost but they also mitigate that whole swelling problem because they're not using very much of the silicon, right? So it turns out that our architecture where instead of having this long winding having these short electrodes that are oriented kind of in the, in the perpendicular direction allows us to have our anode be 100% active silicon. So in our battery, we don't use any graphite, we just use the silicon. Um, and because our battery electrodes are short in that one dimension, um, the same expansion pressure that you find in the battery Um, In a a normal battery, that expansion pressure is acting on the large surface of the battery, right? Causing the whole battery to swell up. In our battery, the expansion pressure is acting on the edge of the battery because everything is turned on its side. And um, we're able to put a very elegant um, constraint, we call it. It's a thin piece of stainless steel that goes on the top, on the bottom of the battery. And it's able to keep the silicon from, from swelling, right? And so That allows us to move to a silicon anode, um, which is very unique to us. It allows us to get to these very high energy densities I mentioned earlier. Um, And it's only because we have a different way to make the battery that it's all possible, right? So that that what I would say is um, the key difference is we've got a very different architecture where instead of winding, we're stacking these short short electrodes in one dimension, and we can move to 100% silicon anode because we can manage the pressure in that architecture.
0: Thanks. Yeah, that's it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm on my screen looking at an an image from your uh, Inovix website, which is very helpful. I'll make sure to include one in the show notes as well. Yeah, you, yeah. So it kind of
1: yeah. shows you can see the specs in there. I think, right?
0: Yeah, and intuitive, because yeah, it, it may be hard to follow just just the words, but yeah, yeah it, no, this, it's hard, this it's hard to sense. follow.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting, and I think the as as you mentioned, kind of this uh, being able to implement silicone or silicon uh, is it is interesting. It sounds like, I'd be curious to better understand kind of the, the path. So you said you've been working on this for 15 plus years and uh, not, not necessarily battery experts or people who have thought your entire career about batteries coming into it. What, what what did this process look like? So it sounds like you pretty much came in saying, hey, batteries, technology, it's ripe for innovation. It, we, there's an ability here. We, we have this great background in architecture and structure and, and such to bring to this. Is this this type of innovation or this type of enablement that you're talking about here with Silicon, uh, um, you know, is that something that you stumbled upon over time as you were developing this technology or how, how did that work in the uh, development process?
1: Well, you know, when we started the company, we were we thought the a different architecture was with get some advantages strictly because of this round peg and a square hole problem I talked about right if you truly make a rectangular battery and you want to put it in a rectangular socket you're going to get more energy it actually turned out that it wasn't probably until three years in that the industry started really getting excited about silicon right and and it wasn't until then in, until we started making the batteries with the silicon and it wasn't so i I would love to say that it kind of happen I guess it kind of happened and as much that you know we didn't we didn't start the company thinking about making a silicon anode work. We started the company um, trying to make a battery a different way, but as often as the case um, in the world, right? If you approach a problem differently, you kind of change the whole problem set, right? So what's a problem for someone else may not be a problem for you. On the other hand, what isn't a problem for someone else may be a problem for you, right? So it just turned out that this different way in the making the battery was a unique, uniquely um, helped solve that silicon problem. And I, I would love to say on day one, we started the company, we realized that we actually didn't. We just felt there's gotta be a better way to make a battery and let's figure that out. And along the way it ended up solving a bunch of the problems with silicon.
0: Cool, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. And I have to imagine it's been a, a exciting journey over over that time. Uh, I, I would be also interested to better understand. So, it sounds like volumetric energy density is a key benefit of, uh, of what you guys are offering in this silicon anode and this architecture. Uh, how, how, this, how, how do you think this stacks up on, I don't know, if we look at, f- for example, like a, a mass density scale, if we look at cost, and I know you probably have to do some extrapolation as you're looking at scaling up to, um, to look at that. Also, if we look at like s- sustainability and the ability to um, get, resources and use challenging resources in lesser amount. How does how does Anovix's Inov- uh, approach stack up on those different variables?
1: Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, um, there's kind of two major ways of looking at energy density. One is a volume-based or volumetric, and one is a weight-based, which is called gravimetric, right? Both are important depending on the product. Um, We have a similar advantage in both. So it turns out that if you can make silicon work, you get a pretty big leg up on energy density in either scenario. Um, You know, If you think about the markets, things like consumer electronics, it's really more about volume than weight, obviously. But surprisingly, even if you think about automotive stuff today, it actually, um, what we've seen lately is people are more worried about the volume in the battery than they are the weight. And the reason for that is, you know, you can figure out ways to save weight in a car, you know, make the hood aluminum instead of stainless. There's no way to figure out how to save volume. I mean, volume. you know what I mean? Volume is volume, right? And so if you look at cars today, I would say actually people are more worried and concerned about um, the volume of the battery than its weight. Um, that said, we have a pretty compelling value proposition um, in, in both ways of looking at energy density.
0: Cool. Yeah. And I mean, certainly that that is an interesting point and I, I could see how volume even in automotive applications could be more important that's not to say there isn't benefit in in the weight too as you as you're alluding to because i mean just simple, simple physics problem if you're, the more mass you're carrying around in the, the vehicle regardless where it's coming from uh, if you're able to shape that weight it, you help yourself uh from a cost of of use and then also sustainability yep. so uh, and also i'd be interesting to, so you mentioned kind of uh consumer electronics as the, the starting entry point. Um, can, can you talk a bit more about what that looks like, what that market entry strategy looks like? And then after that, I'd like to explore kind of how the next, you see the next five years or whatever playing out.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, we've, we've kind of approached um, kind of the, broad, the broader consumer electronic market, right? I mean, at the small end of batteries, you think about things like AR and VR and some of the wearable products, um, you extend up through things like, you know, cell phones, mobile communications, laptops at the bigger end, right? That kind of spans the range. You know, there's other products there. But if you kind of think of the small and the big, you know, something, something like a laptop pretty much has four cell phone batteries in it, right? And something at a small end like an AR thing, you know, that battery could be um, the size of a, you know, a piece of Trident gum or something like that. So that kind of spans the range. Um, we, are, um, we have active engagements with customers across all those markets, um, multiple customers. Um, these are um, you know, pretty prominent players in the space. Not surprisingly, if you can offer you know, energy densities as high as we've been talking about, people are interested. Um, initially, um, we'll likely be out in the wearable space to start. Uh, and the reason for that is those product cycles are very short. Qualification times are not uh, super long. Um, and, um, but then, you know, shortly thereafter, we're working on programs for things like laptop cells, uh, um, uh, you know, um, cell phone cells, that kind of smartphone cells. So I think if you think about where we are this year, it's, you know, we're, we're going to be out in the market with some wearable products that you'll be able to see. And then next year you'll see us starting to penetrate in some of the larger cell markets, like laptops, cell phones, that kind of stuff.
0: Gotcha. And how... How then do you, uh, so you mentioned, I think mid decade or so um, yeah. you're thinking for the electrified vehicle space, how, cause that's, so that's a longer product development cycle, right? And the, the batteries, especially nowadays with, with battery electric vehicles, you really have to build a pack, you build an entire vehicle around, around the battery. So that that gets incorporated pretty early. Um, how are you thinking about how you are approaching that market?
1: Yeah. So it's um, a good question. So what, what we've. We're kind of approaching it from two or three different angles. So firstly, um, you know, there's a lot of criticism in the world that you can make a silicon nanon work given the, you know, the problems it has and the swelling I mentioned, there's some others as well. Um, so um, what we've done over the last year is, you know, the cell, we make, a, we make probably four different size batteries today um, that um, are standard. We'll even sample those, you know, those are consumer electronic batteries, right? But it still proves the silicon nano works. We've sampled those to um, to customers and companies in the EV space, right, to have them get comfortable with um, our our claims that you can make a silicon anode working at these very high energy densities, and that's been pretty successful. The second is that um, we were awarded uh, a little over a year ago um, a three-year program with the Department of Energy, where we're actually building. Um, building our cells um, with um, the the cathode materials you'll typically find in an EV. Um, If you look at consumer electronics versus electric vehicles, consumer electronics, that cathode is typically a lithium cobalt oxide, Um, but in the EV space, you find things that are nickel-based cathodes, so NMC, nickel, manganese, cobalt, there's some other ones like that. And they're really targeted more for, among other reasons, cost. They're a bit cheaper cathodes. Um, and so, one of the questions that the DOE posed is you know, does your architecture and your silicon anode work with um, the EV cathodes, not just the consumer electronic cathodes, right? So, we started um, working on cells um, in this last year in that program. Um, and recently um, on our website, we released some data on um, some of the initial cycling results. One of the key things about any battery that people care about is, you know, how long can you use the battery? Obviously, while it still has a good useful life. Um, And there's, um, there's a measure of that called cycle life, which um, basically is how many cycles can you go from full charge to full discharge um, and retain 80% of the initial capacity and something like consumer electronics, you know, that could be three to 800 cycles, 300, 800 cycles and something like cars, you know, it's, you know, probably you need to be at least a thousand, maybe a bit higher. Um, and so the question was, hey, if you take your architecture and silicon anode, can you get to this thousand plus, um, you know, with uh, with the EV cathodes, these NMC cathodes? And, you know, and thus far we're not there yet, but we have cells now that are 800 cycles in and have only lost about 4% of their capacity, right? So it seems like we're on a good track to prove that. So that's a very significant validating point, because um, others in the in the EV space haven't been able to show um, silicon working, obviously not high percentage silicon, um, but certainly not with a kind of cycle life, right? So that's kind of the second leg, is actually showing with the right material set that this thing can do what it needs to do in cycle life. And the third is um, really starting to reach out and work with partners in that space. Um, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, it's it's not a it's not a quick process to qualify yourselves in a vehicle, right? It's a multi-year um, program, and our our thought is that probably the right way to enter that space is to do some type of license or joint venture with um, existing players, either an existing battery company or maybe potentially EV car company, um, and then help them. To, um, to build lines that can actually make our product, right? I mean, you know you know that the cost to build a gigafactory is giga dollars, right? It's very expensive. And um, we think probably the fastest way to get to market is to work with some existing players um, that are have plans or building gigafactories and then bring in our technology and replace that winding process we talked about mm-hmm. with our patterning and stacking so that then you could have, you know, in, in a gigafactory that all of a sudden, you know, is producing, you know, as an example, 50% more watt hours in the same factory, right? And you have a very differentiated product. Um, and that that allows us, we think, to get to market quicker. Um, and, you know, you give a little bit up by doing a joint venture or license deal. But on the other hand, I think that's the fastest way to get to the market. And our, our hope is that So if we get to the middle of the decade, um, you know, some of those deals will get to the point where our technology is in, in EV batteries.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. How, so thinking of kind of the the scaling up process from cell size. So how, how how challenging or what, what are the challenges of going from the, the smaller scale? You mentioned like a phone laptop type battery on the, on the large end to the types of cells that would be required. And in an EV, for I guess first for talking about just the mechanical, the, the size, um, what, where are the challenges there or are, are there challenges there?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, physically the size of the battery is a little bit bigger, obviously, right? Um, you know, we basically have a line today that can make things from this kind of the AR size, which is very small up to laptop size, which is, you know, which mm-hmm. is um, quite a bit bigger. In principle, the technology can make um, larger cells than that you would design the line, you know, to do that stuff, but there's nothing in principle about it that would allow you not to make bigger ones. And so, you know, we'll, we'll probably um, push the envelope a little bit, what we have, but ultimately um, when you're really targeting an EV product, you probably design the line to actually make the bigger size cell. It's not, it's, the technology is not different. It's the same patterning and stacking process. You're just, you know, patterning bigger features and stacking them probably taller, so to speak.
0: And then how, how about the application work? So f- for the most part, this would either be a, you could go straight sell to pack or sell to module to, to pack, which requires, you know, the, the mechanical packaging, the um, cooling systems, uh, putting an a automotive grade BMS on top of this, um, complying to functional safety standards, all, all those types of things. Uh, do you... I mean, some of these are consistent. I imagine you, you don't want a cell phone battery starting on fire, just like you don't want a, a car starting on fire, but maybe a, a approach from different ways. Um, how, how are you thinking about kind of what, what else goes into the, the application work
1: of the cell? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. So, you know, as you, you kind of were alluding to, you know, in an EV, you've got the cell, that's one piece of the battery, but then there's the whole pack around it, right? And there's a cooling system that goes along with that. Um, and there's probably as much cost in all that, in all that stuff uh, making the cells work as the cells themselves. And so the question you have is, you know, if you have a new cell design, how does that impact kind of the pack design? And, you know, we actually think there's some p- potentially significant benefits of um, our technology at the pack level. Um, just a couple examples. So, you know, today you make a conventional wound cell um, you put it into a battery pack and for a car. Typically, there's a pretty significant uh, mechanical structure that clamps the cells together and applies pressure to them. Um, in our architecture, you don't really need to do that because I, re- I remember I mentioned we have this little constraint system, and effectively, the cell itself has got a thin stainless structure around the cell, so that that essentially um, eliminates requirement for some additional pressure on the batteries after the fact. And so your actual pack design at the level could be simpler because you don't need this whole structure to hold the cells together. They hold themselves together themselves. The second is that, you know, one of the big care abouts in EVs is how fast can you charge the car Can you get to this 10 minute charge time. In principle, you know, you can charge a battery as fast as you want. The problem you run into is that the faster you charge it, the hotter it gets. And at some point it gets so hot that bad things happen to the battery. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the name of the game there is when you're charging, can you get the heat out fast enough, you know, so that you don't let the cells get too hot Um, in a normal battery, um, this wound structure, it turns out that the materials in the battery are actually pretty poor heat conductors. And so it's really hard to get the heat out of a battery, I guess is the way to put it. Right. And so you have this big cooling system around the cells, but first you got to get the heat out of the cell to, you know, whatever cooling structure you have. You know, and if you, if you look, you were mentioning, you saw the picture in our, our website of what our battery looks like. Um, our battery kind of looks like a heat sink. It has mm-hmm. these little fins, right? They go along and those fins terminate on the top and the bottom of the pace of stainless steel. So from a thermal standpoint, our battery rejects heat really well. So if you're trying to charge really fast, getting the heat out of the battery really quickly is a big advantage, right? Because then you actually get the heat out fast enough to let the cooling system get it away from the pack. And we think that architecture, our architecture uh, might be a key enabler of some of these really fast charge rates because it just, it just, you know, a, again, we just thought of this problem differently. And when you do so, you know, we didn't think about, we didn't think about thermal properties are better when we started, but it just turns out it's much better because that the heat has a short distance to travel before it gets to that piece of stainless on the top on the bottom.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I was actually thinking something similar. I mean, this is, yeah, it looks just just like the fins in a... It, it does. Yeah, cool. So, so, uh, and then is it primarily automotive, some so motive, mo- mobility type application that And I, I guess part of my question, one of the things that, so energy density, some of the stuff we're talking about here is... Maybe even more important for like an aircraft application, as those are looking to um, decarbonize, and whether it's hybrid or full battery electric, um, the, the, the battery and specifically the uh, gravimetric gravimetric uh, energy dens- density is the limiting factor. There is that something on the radar, or is it kind of streamlined that you guys are thinking, hey, let's let's go up the chain from consumer electronics, let's focus on automotive, and then we can maybe branch out from there.
1: I think that's our thought right now. I mean, we've obviously, we have had conversations with, not with aircraft per se, but with things like drones and stuff like that. So there's definitely an angle there. Um, you know, I think the most challenging industry from a battery standpoint is probably the airborne stuff, right? Because weight is a huge factor, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we can we can move there. I think, you know, that, that market is still a ways away where obviously the EV market is a bit more mature already, right? And so um, I think the technology certainly can get there. Um, but it's probably after kind of we're out of EVs I would say yeah
0: that, that makes sense and I, I know as a, a a new entrant entrant into the space not usually a great idea to try to target everything at the same time kind of anyways so yeah. uh, well, I'm sorry uh, but yeah yeah I wanted, to, I wanted to take a little bit of a, a left turn a couple couple questions kind of about uh, that you and how, how you how the companies thought that tie into what we're talking about here so the first one I like to ask every guest um, that I have on what's what's a favorite? book or, or books of yours so something that you've used, something that you've re- read through your life that that's influenced you, whether it's professionally, personally, um, wh- whatever, what, what is something that's anything come to mind there?
1: Well, you know, I, I, um, I have a short term memory on books, I can tell you the one that I read recently, which I think really resonates with me. Um, it's a, it's a David Attenborough book called Life on Our Planet, which really talks about you know, the things that we need to do um, to, to get our planet where backs need to be, right. So we're, you know, we can manage our resources, right. Obviously, warming, Um, you know, obviously running a battery company, I think about that general topic a lot, right. Um, But I think he just kind of really um, succinctly kind of, Um, illustrates kind of how we impact the planet and then what are the steps we need to take to kind of um, kind of reverse the course right and I think it's within our means to do that I think more electrification and battery storage is going to be a key piece of that obviously as we all know over time and um, that one just particularly resonated with me Um, I've been a fan of his you know and a lot of his um, kind of nature stuff in the past but I think in a broader sense he really has a good view for man's impact on the world and things we need to do to kind of make, make ourselves, you know, have a sustained uh, existence here on this planet. Right. Cause that's our only yeah. planet we got.
0: Yeah. Thanks. I hadn't heard about that once, but pretty appreciate the, uh, appreciate the thought there. And I, I would also add, I mean, so electrification of, 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 especially in the mobility space is a critical topic, but only, we were only really going to reach that potential if we continue to improve battery technology, as well as the, Cleanliness, the uh, sustainability of the electricity we're we're developing. So, I mean, merely switching to electric batteries and or electric vehicles in the the current technology state doesn't doesn't solve our our climate issues, right? That's why I think that the work that you guys are doing are, is so important, or at least part of the reason. Yes. How how about how do you think though? So there are, I, I don't know the right way to ask this, but this this battery space super, super competitive marker. Right and know, some of the smartest people in the world are going into the space because of some of these things that, that we're talking about, whether it's desire for impact, whether it's um, the, the financial opportunity, whatever. Um, how 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 have you thought about for yourself and for your, your team, the, the company trying to balance of, hey, we're, yeah, there's a bunch of really smart people that are all doing this thing. We're coming at it from a different approach. And like, how do you remain both humble and also confident in, in your approach within this, um, environment?
1: Well, um, you know, fourteen years fourteen years makes you kind of humble. You know, you <laughs> realize you realize if you're trying to change how something is made, it's not an easy thing. I, I, sometimes I tell the story that I kind of view what we're trying to do, batteries, kind of like what um, what happened when cathode ray tubes transitioned to flat panels, right? I mean, it was a completely different way to make the product that took a lot of years to do. Uh, and there were probably a lot of naysayers at the time, but ultimately it was a better way to make the product. So our humbleness gets into, we just realize it's hard. And we've been we've been driven pretty much the whole time by just results, right? I mean, it's not puffery, it's not talking, it's does your product deliver what it says to do? And um, I think if, if you're honest to that, um, it keeps you pretty centered. So we've kind of always been that way. We're not a, we're not a company that makes a lot of you know claims. We're a company that delivers batteries that our customers validate. We do what we say we do. So that's kind of that's kind of how I would say I keep myself grounded. Um, and, and you know, look, there's we have massive growth opportunity ahead, but there's obviously a lot of challenges for how you grow the company. And so um, you know, we also don't want to get too hard far ahead of ourselves and realize that you know. Those are all good problems to have, but it just you know still takes a lot of time to grow a company to really be impactful in the space, and that's what we're working on.
0: Yeah, maybe somewhat real related. So, I mean, you're now 15 years in. It seems like you've gotten to this uh, kind of the the tipping point to some ex- extent, where the, these next, however long, is kind of the, the the make or break. Hopefully, kind of the the big coming out party after all the all this hard work that's been put in. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but that's kind of how I'm seeing it based on what we've talked about. Like how, I don't know. How have you thought about one, one kind of maintaining, keeping, keeping the head down and making progress without kind of this it for the last decade plus without having this uh, come to market strategy coming through. And then how, how has this, uh, these opportunities that have emerged, how has that kind of changed the way that you're running the business?
1: Yeah. So, um, so, uh, What's gratifying is that all the hard work over the 14 years got us to the point where you actually have the technology working. Um, you know, what we realized also as a battery company is just having a technology that's kind of cool and, you know, get to some high watermarks doesn't mean a whole lot unless you know how to make the thing. Yeah. But we, we spent the last two to three years really spending a lot of time and money on the manufacturing process, particularly for the stuff that's unique to us, right? And so... Um, that's to me, that's what's gratifying is that you not only have this great technology, but you have to figure out a way to make it at scale, right? Um, and, you know, we were kind of an R&D company for a long time. Now we're a manufacturing company. And having that come together this year, you know, we shipped out our qualification samples out of our first factory to customers in January. Um, and we're on track to, you know, have first revenue of products we're shipping in the second quarter, right? So that's kind of the culmination of like all those 15 years of, you know, the initial idea to getting the thing working, to then figuring, oh my god, I figure how to make this thing right, and all the work that went into that. You don't have a company until you do all those things, right? Just having technology without a way to make it, it actually doesn't get you anywhere, right? And so. You know we realized that for us to succeed we have to be obsessed about being a great manufacturer as well as continue to develop technology um, and over time you know the company has changed in the early days we were very r d focused but now we brought in a lot of experts uh, on the manufacturing side and operation side to really build a world-class manufacturing company having all that come together is what's unique about this company right there's a lot of other battery companies that topic great technologies but they're years away from figuring how to make it. Right. And my personal observation is there's as much value and challenge in the manufacturing piece. This is, there is in just the technology piece, right? You can't yeah. underestimate the other. Um, and I guess that also makes you a bit humble too, because you realize you got to get all this stuff done. You just can't have, you know, lofty claims and a few samples that work. You got to figure out how to make those thing in volume.
0: Are there any specific philosophies or approaches on the manufacturing side that that you guys are, are are leaning into,
1: yeah. So I would say we're fans of a concept called the auto line, which essentially means, you know, I, I mentioned we kind of pattern our electrodes, but very early in our process, once the electrodes are patterned, you load these long rolls of these pattern materials, and you don't touch the battery until it goes in the shipping container. Like literally, um, it's fully automated, right? So that you can actually run the entire process with not a ton of people. And what people do really is keep the machine fed with raw materials, right? And because if you want to have a very high quality, you know, consistent product, you need to really count on machines that can do the same thing every single time, right? So yeah. we're big believers in that kind of concept. Um, and, you know, we think it allows us to deliver a very high quality product to our customers. Um, and that's maybe different from some other battery companies.
0: Gotcha. I mean, maybe the last question I have, kind of on this uh, somewhat uh, topic stream. So, someone comes to you, let's say, smart, driven, or early career new, new grad, or someone who's been in the industry for a few years. They're excited about the potential of battery technology, want to make an impact on on the industry. All these types of things. What what type of advice do you give to a person like that?
1: Um, I think if you're trying if you're trying to do something new in the space you need to make sure what you're doing really moves the needle, right? I mean, I think about our company. When we started the company, we were trying to make a battery that's 50%, maybe 100% better, right? In a world where things were 4% a year, right? So had we come out and said, hey, we're going to do something and our battery is going to be 10% better, not 5% better. um, That's not a lot of advantage for the effort it's going to take to do it right and probably we would have not made it multiple times just because you know you can you can lose five percent like that right Mm -hmm. you have something that really moves the needle that justifies you know the effort the time the money to do that right um and i think those opportunities are out there you just have to think differently about the problems right doing something that's just incremental um i don't think actually is what you want to do you want to really think about problems differently um and and you know the reason I think we came at, we were successful is we actually came at the problem because we weren't battery guys to start. We were architecture guys and it, it, it made us ask questions that other people wouldn't ask, right? So I would just think about how do you approach a problem differently and how does it really move the needle significantly? Because you're going to need to weather all sorts of storms over the years to get the thing across the finish line. And unless you have a big advantage, you know, you may not make it.
0: Yeah. And I think kind of in, in between the lines there too. I mean, if you target five to 10 improvement, five to 10% improvement, five years from now, the, the odds of someone in the, someone, a competitor emerging, who's going to surpass what you're trying to do is, is is relatively high with all the people who are working on this space.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. yeah. Well, Harold, I really appreciate it. I think this has been a really interesting discussion. I think the, the, the approach, well, I guess learning about how you guys are approaching the battery, the, the um, how, how you built the business where, where you are now, I think it, all, all exciting topics, I guess I would, maybe anything anything in your mind that we, we missed or topics that you were hoping to cover or anything that you, you're hoping that someone listening to this uh, comes away from this discussion thinking about?
1: The only thing I would say is that, um, you know, since the world is used to like this four to five percent improvement per year, and, you know, we're going to bring a battery to market that, you know, in some cases is a hundred percent better, there are things that devices are gonna start doing that they haven't been able to do before. There are products that are come out that haven't been able to come out. There are things that we're gonna not be able to live without that we don't even, haven't even thought about yet. That's really the power of innovation and energy is it really changes so so many things about our lives in ways we don't even know yet, right? That's the exciting thing to me is actually you end up like really moving society forward in some meaningful ways. And I don't know what all those ways are, but I know if all of a sudden you give people a lot more energy, they're going to figure out some really cool things to do with it. To me, that's one of the really exciting things of um, what we're bringing to the market.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, there's the obvious stuff of, hey, here's the, here's the places where we need more density. But there's there's a whole problem set of stuff that people haven't even pursued because the
1: energy has been such a uh, limiting factor, right? Exactly, exactly. So that'll be exciting to me. You know, we, we have customers that are working on things they can't tell us about. But, you know these guys have lofty ideals and i think over the next few years you're going to see some pretty cool stuff coming out because the batteries now can you know power those things
0: yeah very cool i think an, a good op- optimistic note to uh to leave, leave it on here so harold thank thank you again best of luck to you and uh yeah, hope, hope to talk again soon
1: all right my pleasure thanks very much
0: thank well there you have it i hope you enjoyed that discussion with with harold ross i think uh, I don't know a couple things stand out to me based based on this conversation. So the first one, I think this was the first time out within the hundred episodes almost uh, that I was able to go deep into battery cell chemistry, which I, I think was uh, it was pretty fun. Hopefully valuable if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. So I think Harold did a nice job of explaining kind of at a fundamental level how batteries work, and then also using that as a as a good way to describe. Why it matters, and what what Innovix is doing different um, with with their three d approach. The other one just I don't, conceptually, i I really like the idea of a company coming with expertise from outside the industry and rethinking some of the fundamental assumptions in a given field. so it it sounds like you know the the jelly roll design, the manufacturing method, and the way that battery cells are approached and have been approached is it's more or less accepted in the industry. And that's, you know, it, it, it works pretty well, but it's, it's cool to hear about how Innovix, which has, you know, more more of the architecture expertise is coming in and, and rethinking that. And this iterative process of, you know, coming in with a, a unique design saying, Hey, let's, let's rethink the battery. cell, and then realizing, Hey, but when we do this, you know, we, we, we're essentially creating a heat diffusing um, architecture here, which, yeah, here, here's some super cool improvements. And then also, yeah, the the silicone silicon anode has you know the, the swelling effect, which actually but the the way this three D cell is is designed, uh, we overcome there. They they overcome that with with their approach. And you know it was, it was cool to hear him talk about how this process worked and. And I think that's often how innovation works, where it's not a fully intentional um, approach from the, from the gates. It's utilizing something and then thinking about, okay, what does what this improvement enable for the next improvement and going from there? So really fun discussion. Cool, cool to hear how he thought about growing the company. And uh, I don't know, it'll be exciting to see how they ramp up the rest of this year in 2022. And then also how these plans work out in the coming years and as they try to strive for it for larger applications. So, yeah, thanks for listening. More to come next week. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.